Recovery Elevator, episode 344. When I'm giving back, it takes my mind totally off myself. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Bill. He's 61 years old. He's from Alabama and took his last drink on April 19th, 2021. Great job, Bill. Our Ditching the Booze course starts tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Ditching the Booze, the What, the Why, and the How is a six-week, 75-minute course, which is included with Cafe RE membership. Times are Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by an informal parking lot discussion for a Q&A. Listeners, this course is all about connection. We meet together as a group once per week, participate in smaller breakout discussions in the course, and then connect with others in your optional but highly recommended WhatsApp groups. Coursework is assigned after each session. DTB, Ditching the Booze, is our intro to an alcohol-free life course. If you're exploring a life without alcohol, then this course is a must. We'll cover accountability, routine, dealing with cravings, mindfulness, spirituality, and more. Again, this course is included with Cafe RE membership. Okay, let's get started. On today's episode, I'll be covering a YouTube video Rich Roll did with Stanford psychiatrist Dr. Anna Lemke titled The Neuroscience of Addiction. It's a two-hour and 20-minute video, so I'm going to distill it. Wait a second, that's probably not the best word for this podcast. Okay, I'm going to summarize it into a 10- to 12-minute summary. And a link to this video is in the show notes. Thank you, Hillary. First off, Rich Roll is the man. He's a sober, vegan, ultra-endurance athlete, author, public speaker, and wellness evangelist with a kick-ass podcast called The Rich Roll Podcast. At the beginning of this YouTube interview, he covers a quote from a modern-day philosopher named Kent Dunnington, which is, he says, Persons with severe addictions are among those contemporary prophets that we ignored of our own demise, for they show us who we truly are. Ah, this sounds a little familiar, as in the canary in the mine. This summarizes episode 337 perfectly. Basically, the problem of the addict or addiction is one the whole of society has to address because the person with the addiction is shining the torchlight on society saying, yo, something is seriously wrong with the way we are living as a culture. Then Stanford psychiatrist Dr. Anna Lemke talks a little bit about choice, whether if drinking is a choice or not. She says the drinking component, no, it's not a choice, but you seeking help, yes, is a choice. So you all who are listening at this moment to this podcast have made the conscious choice to seek help, to improve, to deviate your path, to make change, and that takes a level 10 courage. Nice job. They then begin talking about the source of an addiction, and Rich Roll says that sure it's important to understand the why behind our drinking or addiction, but it's also somewhat of a fool's errand to spend too much time on that. And that is why we say on this podcast to get out of the story. Sure, it's great to psychoanalyze your past and to uncover childhood stones, but this doesn't give you the tools to cope with your drinking today. And with the story, again, we don't know the full story. It's somewhat like walking into a movie two-thirds the way in and trying to piece it all together. Much of your learned behaviors are from your parents, who learn them from their parents. So a big chunk of your story is passed down generationally. So it's not your job to fully comprehend the story, 
but it is your job to break the cycle of the story or soften the story for generations to come. Then they get into dopamine, and addictions all involve the dopamine system. So dopamine is the most important neurotransmitter that promotes reward and pleasure. For example, chocolate raises dopamine by about 50%, sex by 100%, and methamphetamines by 1,000%. Yikes. Addictions primarily involve the dopamine system in the brain. And overall, addiction gets incredibly complicated, but to simplify this is to say that this system is always seeking balance homeostasis. For example, if you drink a bottle of wine, dopamine spikes. Then the dopamine system down-regulates the release of dopamine afterwards to find balance. Another word for this is hangover. Dr. Anna Lemke says that we have a much higher rate of addiction today than 30 years ago because our society and economy are based on this insatiable pursuit of pleasure. The dopamine system is targeted, and that's the right word, targeted hundreds of times a day billboards, commercials, social media ads, magazines, etc. The dopamine system is like debits and credits in managerial accounting. And oh my goodness, I hated that class in college. The dopamine system brings in a dark veil of ominous curtains directly after a joyful binge and attempts to balance us out. It's actually working in our favor. We just don't realize it. They talk about your drug of choice. Rich Roll says that his drug of choice was alcohol. And gambling didn't really create much of a charge. So why is that? Dr. Anna Lemke says that people bring a different degree of vulnerability to the equation of addiction. She says there is a drug out there that will contain the key to your specific lock. For those listening to this podcast, most likely the drug of choice is alcohol. But it could also be linked to something else, like alcohol and food, alcohol and social media. Rich Roll then talks about how the addict inside of him will always have some sort of low-grade discomfort and will always be seeking a way to solve that. Dr. Lemke, a normal drinker, then says, yes, she has also come to the conclusion that she as well will also have some sort of perpetual discomfort as a human being. I'm going to take this one step further and say that all human beings on the planet experience this discomfort. The Buddha recognize this as the first of four noble truths, that life in general is suffering for both the addict and non-addict. If you're feeling a constant low-level hum of sandpaper in the background of your life, well, that's normal. It's the driving force behind evolution. The deer, the sea lion, and the sunflower also feel it. Of course, we can improve the way we feel, but some of it, by design, will always be there, and acceptance is the answer with this. Dr. Lemke then calls addicts who recover her heroes. And I'm going to say the same thing. In fact, check this out. The interviewee, Jason, who is on Recovery Elevator episode 35 of this podcast, this is like four or five years ago, sent me an email this morning saying he just hit 10 years alcohol-free. Jason, you are my hero. They then briefly cover the higher power thing, which trips up so many of us who are beginning this journey. Dr. Lemke says, once we acknowledge our brokenness, there's a new strategy that comes forth. Again, acknowledge, that's become aware of it. We start asking the universe for help. This happens to nearly all addicts, usually around the rock bottom moment, when they, for the very first time for many, start asking for help outside of them. Sometimes it's as simple as this. Dear God, please help. So this is a significant step in your journey because it represents a major deviation from your previous strategy of trusting your limited and highly flawed thinking mind to ditch the booze. 
Another word for this is surrender. They then go on to talk about withdrawal. Acute, short-term withdrawal, is the body manifesting the opposite of the high you felt when drinking. Again, the body is seeking balance. What goes up must go around. Ah, That doesn't sound right. Here we go. What goes up must eventually frown. Eh, Closer. What goes up must come down. Got it. That's it. Thanks for sticking with me and my odd duck sense of humor. Protracted withdrawal takes much longer. In this space, we call it pause or post-acute withdrawal symptoms. This is the body, the mind, and the soul recalibrating. It takes time, sometimes months, in fact. Trust the process. It gets better. Ah, this is cool. I like this part. Dr. Lemke talks about medical conferences, about how normal medical conferences are full of chest puffing, full of I know more than you do egoic type rhetoric. Then she talks about the openness and rawness and vulnerability she sees when attending an addiction medical conference, and she says it's such a cool culture. Now, I double third eye blind stamp that statement. Being in recovery shows you how banal and boring surface level conversations are. How rad is it that doctors, and many of them enter this area because they are in recovery themselves, can bring that type of openness, rawness, and authenticity to the table. Dr. Anna Lemke talks about how we are all wired to seek pleasure and to avoid pain. This worked great in a world of scarcity. And again, in the modern world, most anthropologists agree that addiction is a modern issue. So with abundance in everything, we're eating and screen tapping ourselves into a major pickle. I mean, you can get anything delivered to your doorsteps in minutes, including pickles. So for example, if I wanted 55 chicken wings, they could be here in less than 25 minutes. The human brain wasn't built for this. I feel we are the first substantial wave of people who are addressing their addictions and the rest of humanity will be joining us shortly. This is the river crossing of consciousness that the Buddha referenced. So next Monday in episode 345, I'm going to cover the second half of this episode. There's simply too much great content to stuff into 10 or 12 minutes in this intro. I love the content in this YouTube video with Rich Roll and Dr. Lemke, and I geek out about this stuff. But listeners, I'm going to be blunt. Knowing the neuroscience around addiction isn't going to do much for you when you're in the depths of an intense craving and your body is desperately seeking short-term relief. Again, I love this stuff. I'm all about it. I podcast about it. But again, this goes back to you can't think, read, or listen yourself out of an addiction. Relying on this information to save your ass when you're at a wedding or a corporate party isn't a sound or recommended strategy. At the top of that list is reaching out to another human being, ideally someone else who is also walking this AF path. And before we hear from Odette and Bill, let's hear from Exact Nature. Exact Nature's all-natural CBD-based products are specially formulated to help you lighten the load on this road to recovery. Whether you're struggling with strong cravings, depression, anxiety, or are having a hard time going to sleep, Exact Nature's products are guaranteed to help you. Learn more at exactnature.com. As a Recovery Elevator listener, use the code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order at checkout. That's RE20 at checkout. Thank you, Paul, for your introduction. And I'm very excited to welcome Bill today. Bill, welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. How are you? Hey, Odette, I'm doing very well. I hope you're doing great as well. I am. Thank you so much. I've been really looking forward to our chat. So 
Thanks again for your time. And let's get right to it. When was the last time you had a drink, Bill? That would be April 29th, 2021. How are you feeling? How am I feeling? Uh, a little tired, but other than that, I'm very good. And can you give listeners a little background about yourself, Bill? Can you let us know where you're from? Do you have a family? What do you do for a living? And what do you like to do for fun? Sure. I'm Right now, I live in Huntsville, Alabama, which is where I was born. I've lived all over the South, Knoxville, Tennessee, Atlanta, Columbia, South Carolina, Dallas, Texas, even some more places. I'll stop at that. I've been on this planet for 61 years now. I'm single. And as far as income now, I'm a food delivery driver. I have aspirations to get back into some form of coaching like I did before and get into some writing. As far as things I like to do for fun, I love hike comes out every time I think about this. So hike must be at the top of the list, hiking. Other things I love to do, I love to watch movies. I love to watch sports events, spend time with family and friends. Something I haven't done in quite a while I'd like to do again is windsurfing and reading. There's, there's plenty more, but I'll stop with that. What's a movie that you've watched recently that you've really liked? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to go with a TV series. I really like Ozark a lot. I know that yeah. may be kind of crazy for somebody on a recovery podcast, <laughs> but I think it's a good, great, very well done. Yes. If it makes you feel any better, my husband and I also love Ozark. It's All right. so good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bill. Well, I love hearing that you have a lot going on, you know, that you find joy in a lot of things. And I'm assuming that has even gotten better with your time away from drinking. And I want to know a little bit about your history with alcohol. When did you start drinking? When did you realize alcohol wasn't serving your goals? And how did you end up here chatting with us? Okay. As far as my starting with alcohol, I started, and I don't remember if this is 1973 or 1974. I was with some friends. We're in the neighborhood I grew up in. My parents are in an office party, so we're up to no good. We're 13, 14 years old, and we find a six-pack of beer on the side of the road. We take that back to my house, pour the beer, warm beer, into Coca-Cola glasses and drink it and gag and spit it out. And then we, quote, wisely decided we would, you know, our dads came home and grabbed a cold beer, so we would try cold beer. So we poured that over ice. Didn't taste, as, taste good either. I wish alcohol. It continued to be like that for me, but I developed a taste for it. I'm going to go through the um, front end of this pretty quick because I think where I diverge from some of the guests I've heard is in what's out here 30 years from 1983. So yes, yes, go ahead. However, you need to break it down. Okay, good deal. And I know you can answer follow up if you want to on the earlier things, but 1976 through 19. 80, about 1980, I was 16 to 20 years old. And I reached a point where, especially during the summer, I would drink two or three times a week. During the school year, it might be a couple times a week, but I wasn't getting a buzz. I was getting drunk. And I quote, didn't have a problem because I wasn't addicted to it, though I'm very lucky I'm alive right now. I'm talking with you. And from those early events, I ended up in a bar in Florida on spring break in 1983. And I can't totally explain this, just like I can't totally explain when I stopped. 
But this feeling just came over me that I just didn't want to be drinking anymore. And I had read or heard somewhere that if you drink a lot of water, it will sober you up. So I'm just walking back and forth to the bar, getting water, getting water, getting water, trying to get the alcohol out of the system. I went to the bathroom a lot, did not get the alcohol out of my system. So moving on, about to move on 30 years now from 1983. But first, yes, this will give some context context here. I went through my brain and searched as best I could. And between 1983 and 2013, I got buzzed five times and I got drunk five times. So we're talking once every three years and it's quote, not a problem, even though now I know that I was putting poison into my body, even at that reduced rate. And 2013, this change, I vividly remember when my wife left the house. It's on the first Friday afternoon in October and I'm watching a baseball playoff game. And she had decided to take time apart from me to figure out if she wanted to still be in our relationship or not. I probably should have seen it coming. I didn't see it coming. There were some anger management issues from my end. No physical violence, but anger, 99% of which was aimed at me. But she was still dealing with that, and we had some financial issues. So for all these reasons, she decided to leave, and I can still see her heading out of our living room. So I call a bunch of friends. I couldn't tell you what I say to them right now. I have no memory. I just remember I called some people. And I walked my dog, which my dog saved me for a while because I didn't want to have the smell of alcohol on my breath when I walked my late great dog, Cody, in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening. So at that time, when I started, I was just taking a gulp of a liqueur in the evening. And I'll tell you how it got started because this is just so crazy. I'm sitting there just full of emotion and just by far the worst emotion I've had in my, my life. I didn't want to deal with it. And I remember from this book I read that a rock star wrote that when he decided to get off alcohol and drugs, at first he decided to get off of heroin, but to keep drinking. And he found a liqueur, which he said mimicked the best that he could find, mimicked the feeling of heroin. And I'm sitting there and looking back, it's so crazy. But I thought, okay, if this imitates the feel of heroin, that's just what I need right now. So The way this progressed for me is I slowly became addicted to to alcohol, going from one or two shots a night to, and my volume of drinking never was as great as some of the people I hear on the podcast, but reaching a point where I was drinking a fifth on Sunday afternoons and doing embarrassing things while I I was doing that. And this is one reason, I'll I'll do this before I, I go ahead, one reason I drank and drank every night was because I didn't think I'd become addicted because, you know, my brain goes, okay, you, you got drunk three times a week in college and sometimes in high school and you never got addicted. So you're not Mm going to get addicted now, which I learned is so untrue because this can sneak up on us in a slow way. Or for some of us, as soon as we have that first drink, we're, we're in the, the net. Yeah. The progression is very sneaky. And a lot of people say, even if they were late to start drinking, the progression later then ramped up. So you totally are right. Excellent. Well, I'll give you just a couple of low lives here when I was going through this process and then talk a little bit about how I found it all. In fact, I'm just going to go to one of the lowest points in my life and then move on to 
the podcast and Cafe RE. On New Year's Eve of 2016, I'm living in an extended stay hotel and I have no money. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to buy food the next day. I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent in there. I don't know how I'm going to do anything. But Odette, I found myself on my hands and knees crawling around the carpet, not carrying whatever disease, germ, looking for nickels, quarters, dimes. Then I got in my car and I did the same thing. And I scraped up enough coins to get four shots. And I had those. And I don't know how I got through the next day. Or I'm sure I drank the next day, too. I, I couldn't tell you. So that was the low point. Happened in 2016. From there, I maintained a status quo and slight moderation over like 2018 area where I went from the volume I was drinking to about a fifth from Friday night to Sunday night. And at, at this point, my alcohol choice was vodka. And a lot of this journey, I can't fully explain. I just remember that sometime in 2020, I did a search for something like, and I, I love AA and what they do, don't get me wrong, but I did something like a search for alternatives to AA. So Recovery Elevator was one of the alternatives that came up. I became a member of the group and I didn't use it as actively as I should have. I used it, the group off and on until really late May, early June of 2021. And it was the morning of April 29th. I had gone, had my four shots or whatever at vodka when I went to bed. Then I woke up like I always did and wanted more vodka so I could go back to sleep. So I had probably three more shots. Then I got up again, like I always did. And I had a couple shots of vodka to cure, quote, cure the hangover at at that, that point. And I'm walking into the living room. And for some reason, I was like, okay, I am not doing this anymore. This is killing me. I am going to stop. And for now on my journey, I'll just talk briefly about the first month that I really used, that I uh, stayed away from alcohol. I did something that was very foolish. And this is what can happen when my ego gets in the way and my ego guides me instead of my intuition. My ego was telling me, you want to go on Cafe RE because we were used to go in there and you would be sober for two or three days and then you'd have to go in there and confess again. And then you'd be sober for nine days. You got to go in there and confess again. So my ego, I let it block me from going on Cafe RE. And it's amazing that without being in a group tribe, I can make it through around 30 days and around the 30 day mark. And I'll stop this portion of our interview right now, around the 30-day mark, I had some information that kind of came together that made me get back on Cafe RE again. I so appreciate you sharing kind of the push-pull there at the end. And I have some questions that I want to pull from earlier in your journey. Okay. When you were finding yourself looking for any coin possible in order to buy your shots, was it already running through your brain at that point, like, I have a problem because I know that because you didn't drink as much growing up, like you said, that kept you from labeling yourself as someone who could potentially have a problem. When did those thoughts of, oh, crap, I think this may be a problem start creeping in? There were two moments, certainly crawling around on the floor looking for change. You know, I was telling myself, this isn't normal. This isn't normal. So I mm -hmm. was beginning to see I have a problem. 
And then the next time I had only been drinking at night and one morning, this was in 2016, I got up and I immediately went and had a shot. And I was like, oh, hell, I was like, this is not good. And I joined an online group then similar to Cafe RE and stopped for 91 days, I believe it was. And that was the longest I'd stopped till Cafe RE beginning on April 30th of this year. And other than this other group that you had joined, did anybody in your like normal outside of recovery life know that you were struggling with this? How are you functioning? Did family or friends share any concern or was it more of a secretive thing that was happening with this progression? It was a very secretive thing. I've said on some of our up group and other chats before, Odette, I could walk out the door and walk down the street to the bar and go in there and just talk with people and order Diet Coke after Diet Coke till four o'clock in the morning and never buy any alcohol. But you put me in my apartment by myself and I get real lonely and I start wanting to drink and other negative emotions come up and I want to drown those with alcohol as well. So for the most part, my family and friends didn't know anything about this. And, you know, as one guy told me who was an interventionist, he said, uh, how you know when an addict's lying? He said, when their lips are moving. So of course I wasn't telling them the volume I was drinking. Oh, I have a shot a night. No, that's not right. So uh, yes, family and friends really didn't know about this until near the end. And some of them still don't know. I know you mentioned at the beginning of the interview that you live alone and that you're single. How do you handle those feelings of loneliness now? If you go out or if you're spending a day out and then you come back home and that ritual that you had where you would drink at night, how do you handle with that now that you're not drinking? Uh, There's several ways. The first that comes into my mind is when I'm on my way home, I will play it forward what's going to happen if I go in there and decide to go back out and get alcohol. And what's going to happen is exactly what I did before. I'm going to drink three or four shots. I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night and have uh, a few more, wake up the next morning and just feel terrible. So that works a lot of times. I normally go in pretty soon after I get off my job and get on Cafe RE, and that always helps me to do that. There's one other thing I'll mention that when I come in to my place, I can't use it in my job, but when I come in, I picked up on a chat something, I believe the woman called it 30 things, and I will go around. It could be anything, like I'm looking at my pen here on my table. I could pick up my pen and put it where it's supposed to go. I could take my sparkling water I've got here and take it put in the refrigerator. That's two things. I could eat a little bit. That's three things. Really, I could count several in the eating. So when I get to 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, usually the craving's gone. And I'll skip over a couple things here and just say, if it's bad enough, I'll just get in bed and lie there or go to sleep because I won't go back out at that point. And, um, Yes, the loneliness, that's some of the ways I've dealt with it. I'm going to have to, we're going to have to find who said that 30 things tool because in over a year that I've been doing the podcast and almost three years or more that I've been in Cafe RE, I have never heard of that tool and it is brilliant. Oh, I love it. Yes. 30 things and it brings you back to the moment. And like you said, by the time you're 
you're losing count, then hopefully the craving has dissipated. I love that because it gets your body moving. It gets your mind focusing on the now versus all of the things we're making up in our brain when we have a craving. So I'm glad that that serves you. And I'm sure that a lot of listeners will also benefit from that. Good. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. And then how was withdrawing? I know just from listening to your cycle of, you know, bedtime vodka, morning vodka, mid-morning vodka to cure the hangover from the previous shots of vodka. How was it in that early chapter? I know you talked about it briefly, but the withdrawal part, the sleeping part, how did you get into this groove where you were going through the reps without your body needing the drink? Well, it was hell and it was more hell than it needed to be. If I, <laughs> you know, Cafe RE, whatever, gone to an AA meeting down the street, done something, you know. But what I did was, I don't know how much money I spent in the ice cream department at Kroger, but I don't know how many, mm -hmm. like one guy in our group said, you're better off with a spare tire than you are addicted to alcohol, dude. So anyway, I go in there and just get ice cream or cookies or something on the way home and I'm going to eat them. I am at heart a health nut. I was eating fast food to, quote, give myself a treat. On Sundays, when I used to drink all day, that was one of my, you know, on that day, it was so bad that I would lock up. And when I locked up, I just got in bed and would read a book or something. It's like I, I didn't want to move. And I knew if I went and got alcohol, I could move again. Mm -hmm. But luckily, I was able to not go out and get the alcohol and certainly white knuckling in there, which again, would have been lessened if I had been involved in some group and been putting tools in my toolbox to help me with what I was going through. Yeah. I also think it's a great tool. It's just, you said, lock yourself up, but going to bed early. You know, I just talked to someone recently who's just saying how they've learned to just put themselves to sleep, whatever time it is. Sometimes you just need to get through the day. And I'm really grateful that you bring up the the junk food or the ice cream, because you even mentioned it at the beginning in the interview, how swapping things. And a lot of the times I feel like sugar gets a super bad rep in our sober circles. But I honestly think that, especially since I have an eating disorder background, you have to give yourself that pass if it's that or drinking. And at some point you can have enough of sugar. Like there gets to a point where you're too thirsty, you get lethargic, like your body is so wise that I don't like it when I feel like people are trying to restrict from the sugar as well, because we do need something, especially at the beginning. And it's totally okay compared to the damage that we were doing with drinking. I just want to give like a huge permission slip to people. I know it's not healthy. I know there's a ton of studies about sugar, but it's definitely better than shooting back those shots of vodka. <laughs> I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Bill, for talking about that. And once you started to get through the reps, what were some of the benefits that you were noticing about sobriety? Like, I know you had other stretches. You've had 30 days. You've had when you joined that other group. What do you think were things that started to change in your life that then started acting as a motivator to continue to not pick up the drink the next day? I hope I'm not a broken record on some of the questions. I mean, what changed for the better literally was everything. One of the things that just always comes to my mind is just how grateful I am to wake up without a hangover. Mm -hmm. I'm going back to the gym again. Emotionally, my doctor had gotten me taking some 
antidepressants and a low grade of anti-anxiety. Well, those weren't working when I was drinking. So I think a lot of it is what I'm learning mentally and learning to meditate and some of these things. But some of it is the medication is working and helping me now also. Just having better mental and physical health is a huge perk that I do feel like at the beginning it's hard. You know, I hear a lot of people say, I thought that I would have more energy. I thought that I would have perfect sleep or that my anxiety would be gone. And then we almost get demotivated. But I do feel like we need to give it time because our body is like, wait, what are we doing? We're not drinking. And it takes time for it to understand that we're, we're building a new normal, basically. Yes. Uh, Bill, now that you have leaned into the group and into Cafe Ari, have you noticed just the perks of having community? What can you say about that, of like sharing the struggle bus with other people? I would, there's no way I would still be sober if I didn't take advantage of what's offered with Cafe RE. What's amazing to me about it is, you know, I hear some friends of mine who go to AA or some other group talking about group consciousness. To me, even though that's online and chats, and unfortunately I haven't met anyone in well, one member locally in person, but no one else. I think there's a group consciousness there that, that leads me. And I hear this in other programs, and I get it from people in Cafe RE also, is that when I'm giving back, it takes my mind totally off myself. Then also a benefit for me is when I do need to put the focus on myself because I'm about to drink. Cafe RE has saved me. I've been in parking lots about to go in and buy beer. I posted what people said on there, helped me to uh, get through that time. I've enjoyed the chats. Like I said, I, I picked up the uh, 30 things on the chat. So I'm just learning and growing. And that wouldn't be there if I hadn't plugged into the group. You know, I love AA because AA saved my dad's life, but I'm not someone who goes to AA often. I'll go to meetings with him or just very sporadically. But one thing I learned recently, and now that even though we're still in this pandemic, I feel like people are traveling again and resuming even maybe business travel. I learned an AA tool that is related to community that I love using and talking about is that if you are traveling at airports, and for a lot of people, airports are a huge trigger, trigger because we used to drink at airports, you can ask um, anybody who's working at any gate to call for a friend of Bill W's or just like, hey, any friend of Bill W's, can you come to gate 3B? And someone will come to the gate because people who are in AA will understand what that means. And they'll come and basically grab you and chat with you until you have to get on the plane so that you don't go to the bar instead. So it is so wonderful to me. Like, I just thought about this because you shared that you were in a parking lot once when you logged into the group that exists outside of Cafe Ari as well. I love our group, but I know that there are so many sobriety options at this point, and you just have to be brave enough to reach out. I mean, I can't imagine how hard it was for you to log into the group or how hard it is to sometimes pick up the phone instead of the drink, but we can do it. We can choose a different outcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just so glad I reached a point, whether that was through meditation or what it was where I could let enough of my ego go to get in the group. And as you alluded to, there are so many groups out there now. I think anyone can probably find a group that's going to match their personality and help them get off the alcohol. What other tools now that you are um, a little bit further away from your last drink, what other tools have you noticed? You've mentioned meditation a couple of times. Is that something that you 
try to practice every day. What is working for you right now, Bill? What's working for me right now is I will tell you this, some of this stuff is going to be, I don't know, off the wall, but a little different here. I read a couple books by this guy. He's an athletic trainer for Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, and some other great athletes named Tim Grover. One's Relentless and one is called Winning. And he has this, I'm oversimplifying probably the philosophy, but it's like winning is dirty. You got to put everything you got into it. You may lose family, you may lose friends, this kind of thing. You've got to be obsessed with it. And I was thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm okay being very good. I don't want to go that limit. And then I thought about it and I thought, no, wait, there's something I've got to go. I don't think I'm going to lose family and friends, but if that's the case, it's just the case. And that's my recovery. I've got to be obsessed ab about that. The meditation, yes, that helps me a lot. And I uh, use an app called Balance. I didn't think I would like guided meditation, but that has helped me with anxiety. It's definitely reduced the volume of my cravings. And yes, I'm sure I have some more, but I'll stop there for now. Yeah. And Bill, other than cravings, we have talked about how you do to deal with those. What about emotions? Like, have you dealt with actual triggers or have you peeled some of those deeper layers of the onion where you are kind of getting to the root of why not only you drink, but just a lot of your discomforts? Absolutely. And I'll tell you this. The first thing that comes to my mind is I called a friend of mine. It's probably about four, good friend, about four years ago. And I asked him to please tell me my greatest character flaw. And he was like, you know, hell no, I'm not doing that. You've got to figure that out, out yourself. And then he calls me back like four days later. And he said, I've thought about this. I've prayed about this. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you. He said, your biggest character flaw is you don't like yourself. So I think drinking for me was maybe one of the latest or the very latest manifestations in my life of self-sabotage. Because underneath that, there was this I suck thing, you know, that was just dragging me down that I learned much earlier in life, which never served me well and certainly doesn't serve me well now. And I definitely want to say that this is another amazing thing about my, my recovery. I have made more progress in self-love since April 29, 2021 to today than I think I ever have before. I mean, I'm just really... Floored is the first word that comes to my mind about it. You know that I love that you're talking about that because you also mentioned that you kind of pushed back from the group because you were going, you know, I don't know, two days with without drinking and then back to drinking and that roller coaster that this recovery journey really is, which is so true for many people. It's just people don't like talking about it. It brings them shame or whatever. But honestly, if I had to pick having mental peace and liking myself or having a long stretch of days, I'd rather pick just liking myself because you can have ups and downs and be gentle with yourself and keep learning from your mistakes and continuing to try. Or you could be doing this quote unquote perfectly and then having a nightmare dialogue running through your head. And I do feel like for me too, this self-love, self-care, how do I talk to myself journey has been a huge component of recovery because in the end, what I'm looking for is for mental peace. And if I'm not a friend of myself, then I don't have any of that peace. No. 
And I thought of something, you know, you ask resources, I could go a hundred mile list. The top two would be uh, Cafe RE and Recovery Elevator Podcast. But there's another one I listened to called Unbeatable Mind. And they had a guy on there named Kamal Ravikant. And out of everything he said, I picked this up. He said, say I love myself over and over and over like a mantra for 30 days. And I guarantee you will love yourself more. And that worked for me. I'm certainly doing more work in that than uh, just saying that over and over. But yeah, I agree with you. Uh, If I beat myself up for not being perfect or try to do recovery or anything perfect, it's not, it's not going to work. And the self-talk is just so huge with that. Again, I've made, great strides in that in the last few months that I don't think I would have made still drinking, certainly. I love that, Bill. How has your tangible life changed the most? Like internally, I know everything that you've been changing and you're sharing like the self-love and all of that. But what about the external parts of you of your life? Do you notice things are changing as well? Externally, I notice, and again, depending on how you look at this, this could be internal or external, but I notice that things that might have annoyed me at one time no longer annoy me. And I'm thinking about external. My health is getting better. That's, Mm. I guess, again, internal, external, but I'm eating better. I'm going to the gym. Despite the ice cream, I'm starting to get back in better shape. And those are all the thing I need to work on the most is I let my drinking and then combine it with COVID. It was disaster as far as relationships go. And I need to work and get more out there and do that. But when I do talk with friends and family now, that's better because at one time I was concerned if they called me, I might have a buzz. I mean, I let those go to you know voicemail. So I'm losing this contact because of drinking and I'm working to get it back. And I'm very grateful for that. That's so good to hear, Bill. And we have reached the rapid fire round. So I'm going to ask you a few final questions. If you can answer these in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What are you excited about right now? I'm excited about uh, life as a whole. I mean, it's amazing the just little things I see right now and how grateful I am. I do. I didn't mention it. A gratitude journal in the morning. Just looking outside and seeing the sun and notice, you know, it'll sound all woo-woo, but just like noticing the beauty in everything. I love that. What is your favorite ice cream flavor since you did mention you were a Kroger fan? <laughs> sure, there are other places make it too, but it's like a birthday cake batter ice cream. I don't know how much of that I've had. Too much. What is a light bulb moment you've had during this journey? A light bulb moment I had during this journey was I was having an ulcerative colitis flare up, serious inflammation of the colon. You can't keep food down. And Odette, while I'm flat and laid in bed with this going on and on medication, I'm getting up every two or three hours and drinking. And that just really hit me. I didn't stop yet, but it added up in all the reasons I did stop. Next one, what's your go-to response if you go to a party and someone offers you an alcoholic drink? F you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) I'm kidding. What I found with me, I just say no thank you. And it may get annoying if somebody, you know, got one for all time's sake and all this kind of stuff. But no thank you repeatedly seems to get the message across. And then as 
I burn the ships and people learn I'm not going to do that anymore. It's even easier. Like, oh, Bill doesn't drink. Give, give him your keys and he can drive us home, that kind of thing. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? If you don't have an accountability partner, I have a life accountability partner. Her name's Jordan. It's holistic drinking from she keeps me accountable uh, from her end on drinking, but then on a, a lot of other things as well. And I would not be on here talking with you without my accountability partner. There's no way. So in my experience, it's just another, and we've been working together now for eight years. In my experience, that's part of connecting. And I don't have an accountability partner in Cafe RE. I'm sure that I should. But despite that, I'm going to say, if you have an accountability partner that you match well with, whether that's an accountability partner for drinking or accountability partner for your business or life as a whole, it can't do anything but help. It's amazing. Once you figure out how to stop drinking, then you realize that recovery is just how to do life. I love that you have a life accountability partner. You know, recovery in this journey is so much more than about just quitting drinking. So I love that. And Bill, before we depart, can you give listeners your own? You may have to say adios to booze if line. You may have to say adios to booze if the dudes who work in the liquor store tell you you might need to quit. We will miss your business, but we think you need to quit. <laughs> it was something it was something like that. Like, man, you know, <laughs> yeah, something like that. We will miss your business, but you need to quit, you know, because I don't know. A couple of those guys told me they wanted to quit as well. So it's kind of funny to say, but I kind of got to know those guys a bit as much as I went in there. And they might not have said that to every customer. Probably didn't, actually. They had your back. Thank you so much, Bill. I'm really glad that we finally got to do this. Take care. And I know we'll be in touch. Thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. It was an honor to be here. Thank you, Odette. Very well, Team RE. That wraps up our interview for today. And before I say adios, I want to share with you something that I heard from one of our Cafe RE members during our Bozeman retreat. We were doing some shares during our closing ceremony, sharing our takeaways and she stood up and she said something along these lines. For a long time, I thought that I didn't matter, that my existence didn't matter to anyone. I realized that I matter and that I belong and that I can make an impact. So if anyone feels this way right now, just know that you do matter. Know that if you were at this retreat, you have made an impact on me. Like I said, I was just paraphrasing, but whoever said this, you know who you are. Thank you. Thank you for this beautiful reminder that many of us need to hear. We all matter. We all help each other become better. We all help each other heal. We all remind each other of our value whenever we doubt it. And I'm a firm believer that the power of this community is strong. And it is strong because it's rooted in love and non-judgment and a firm belief that we are whole just the way we are. Even when we stumble and even when we fall, we are whole. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery elevator, you took the elevator down. You got to take the stairs back up. You can do this. I love you guys. How do you know this is the experience you need?
misperception of who you are, an illusory sense of identity. This is the ego.